Well, thanks, Phil. Thanks for that. And uh, thank you for now putting the smell and the taste of hot cross buns in my mind. I had kind of forgotten about that and now I'm tasting them and smelling them and they're not even really here. Um, my name's Andrew. Um, it's my privilege to pastor here at One Hope and um, to lead during this season. And um, you know, it's a, it's a strange season, but um, at the same time, we have a wonderful community and it's been great to be part of that community in this time. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. You know, um, when we lived overseas in the, uh, in the place where we lived, uh, in our local church there, at Easter time we'd go to church at Easter and you would walk in the door and the welcomers would say, Christ is risen. And then the response was, He is risen indeed. And, you know, I want to be really honest here. I used to think that was kind of corny. It was a bit of a mantra. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, I, I felt like it was a little bit corny and contrived. But I don't think it is. I think as, as human beings, mantras are kind of important. And, and what it, 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 it's signifying and what it's expressing is that we have something in common. You know, that Christ is risen, that's why we're here. And, then, and the response is, he's risen indeed. I have that in common with you. Yes, you're right. You know, and, and I was thinking about that as humans that we do that because how we do the same with, our, with, with footy matches and footy teams, you know. And, and if you're a bit of a, an AFL or a football buff, and most of you that know me know that I'm not, but I do hear that, you know, can the pies, you know, can the, come on the swans. And, and we have that kind of language. Or if you're, you know, halfway Dutch and, and, and th you know, two-thirds away Reformed, you'll be saying, calm the cats. You know, for some reason, you, uh, you barrack for Geelong. I'm not quite sure. But the reason we do that is because we're looking for an echo. We're looking for someone else who, su who supports Collingwood or Carlton or the Swans or whoever that might be. And, and we get that echo. Yeah, calm the pot. You know, it's the same kind of thing. Christ has risen. He's risen indeed. And I don't want to draw an analogy between football and, and Jesus' resurrection. But just to say that it's good for us to find that identity with each other, especially on a day like today. So turn to each other and say, Christ is risen. And respond with, He is risen indeed. Because today we celebrate that wonderful truth. Say I walk into a room... And I walk in and say, I'm the man. Or I walk in and say, how good am I? Or maybe if I was to walk into a job interview and I just waltz into the room and there's all the directors of the company there and I say, guys, I am what you need. I am the answer to all of your problems. Or what if I walked up to a girl, I was a young guy and I still can remember being a young guy. I walk up to a girl for the first time and I say to her, I am the fulfilment of all your dreams. Most of us would consider any of those lines not to be great strategies for winning people over. It wouldn't be taken real well at all, would it? Apart from being incredibly arrogant and egotistical, it's also way too absolute and it's even offensive. There is no way that I or you can say, I am with such certainty. And yet the series that we're in at the moment 
is about just that. Jesus' seven I am statements, absolutes. Not maybe, or not I could be, or not I'm working to try to be. No, it's I am. I am the bread of life. Not, here, let me show you how to get it, or let me, uh, let me take you so that you can get the bread of life, or show you where it is, and, and I can give it to you. No, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Not, I'm trying to shine my light and be helpful, or let me help you be enlightened. No, I am the light of the world. I am it. I am the door for the sheep, and we just heard that on Good Friday. I, I am the good shepherd. Not, you know, I can show you the way to safety, it's just over there. Or I can introduce you to the nurture of a, of a good shepherd or someone that might look after you. Not even, oh look, I'm trying to learn how to love rebellious sheep. No, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the doorway, I'm the way in. Such profound statements left the listeners astonished and, and more than a bit confused. And that was if they were charitable. Who is this guy? Because not only was he saying these kind of things, but he was also saying things like, I and the Father, God, are one. And saying things like, before Abraham, I was. And we need to understand how revered Abraham was. You see, when God called himself, I am, back in Exodus, when Moses says, who should I say sent me? And, and God says, just say, I am sent me. When God calls himself I am, it's a pivotal moment in redemptive history. God reveals himself to his people and he comes to redeem them out of exile and lead them into a new life. God's name tells them who he is and what he's like. He is the I am, the eternal, unchanging, self-existent one, not dependent on anyone else infinite and glorious in every single way and above all created things he's god this was taught it was well known and well accepted by god's people so imagine when jesus applies that same title i am to himself and claims to be god in john chapter 8 um, we see that um, in john chapter 8 verse 58 Towards the end there, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now remember I said how revered Abraham was. So he was saying, I'm God. He's not saying, I'm not a helper to God. I'm, I'm not a great teacher, but I am the divine, eternal, pre-existent, infinite and perfect being. He's saying he is Israel's God. He has life in himself and he can give life to us. The Jews knew that taking on a title like that, making a claim like that, was pretty radical. And that's why at the end of John chapter 8, you see them picking up stones and preparing to stone him. So the seven I am statements in John help us to understand the ultimate claim of Jesus, that he is God, that all of the Old Testament and God's redemptive acts, which the listeners were well aware of, we're pointing to the coming of Jesus, God in the flesh. The God of absolutes that they were so willing to believe through the Old Testament narrative. The God of amazing acts and miracles that they took and owned as their own as God's people. That God is 
now right there, standing right there in front of them. And as we read John, and even these weeks as we're looking through this and we read John, he's standing right in front of us too. You know, today's Easter Sunday. And we started with he's risen. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And the I am statement that we're looking at today couldn't be any more appropriate. Today we're looking at I am the resurrection and the life. It's a huge statement and there's so much in there and we've just, you know, I have this sense that we're just not going to do it justice. But we want to look at what Jesus meant. Let's check out where Jesus uses those words. And we're going to read in John chapter 11. It'll be on the screen. But grab your Bibles, have them open, have a look along with me. And we're going to read John chapter 11, just the verses 17 through to 27. Read along with me. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Let's get a little bit of context here of our story. At the beginning of chapter 11, before our reading, we see that Lazarus, a good friend of Jesus, is sick. Turns out, he's really sick. Mary and Martha, his sisters, and I, I, this is the first time we actually see them in John. Mary and Martha, his sisters, they send a message to Jesus to let him know that Lazarus is pretty sick. You know, Lazarus, your good friend, is pretty sick, <clears throat> pretty ill. He responds with this strange uh, statement in verse 4. And if you have a look at verse 4 with me, we might have it up there. This is what he says when he hears the message. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to, to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. There's a little hint there for us, isn't there, the reader, that Jesus knows what's going on. That this is no surprise to him. Even though the listeners, his disciples, and even we may not get it yet. So the next verse then, straight after that, is way weird. Let's have a read of that verse. And right after that, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That's weird. What? He loved them so much, so he waits. Then he says to the disciples, straight after, if you read straight after, he says, okay, let's go. But they don't want to go because it's dangerous. And they try to say, oh, you know, we shouldn't go there because it'll be dangerous for you, Jesus. You might die. 
but we should read in there, we might die. But they don't really want to go. But Jesus says we have to go because Lazarus, our friend, has fallen asleep. <laughs> and the disciples are, are you kidding? If he's asleep, he'll wake up. But then we get a little bit of a hint of what Jesus is, is up to, what he's wanting to do. Let's see that in verse 14 and 15. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. So you may believe, but let us go to him. He's going to help them believe something. I'm going to do something in order that you will believe. He's going to reveal more of himself to them. And then our reading comes in. The section of scripture we read comes in. Jesus comes after Lazarus has been dead for four days already in the tomb. There's a lot of mourners about. It talks about people coming to, to be with Mary and Martha. And it was quite common in those days. In fact, there were professional mourners that would come and, and go from funeral to funeral. And they would start the wailing off. And, and people would gather around. And it was well known that there'd be a lot of people that would be at a burial or a funeral. Jesus, Lazarus has already been dead four days and Martha comes running when she hears that Jesus is close and she says, don't bother, he stinks. And did you notice Mary was at home? Does that remind you of another story where Martha's busy doing something and Mary's sitting around? Mary's sitting at home. And then Martha begins to say to Jesus, why didn't you come earlier? You, you could have saved him. But wait, now that you're here... You could still do a miracle. She knows enough about Jesus. She's seen enough to know that that can happen. And there's a sense in her that she thinks, well, God will give you what you ask for. It'll come from God. She doesn't understand yet who Jesus is. And then Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha's kind of like, well, I know that. I, I know that on the last day. And what's going on there? They were well versed and the Jews knew and the, the teaching was and they understood that on the last day there would be a resurrection. And she was thinking that Jesus was talking about that. But then we have this incredible statement that Jesus makes in verse 24, 25, and 20, 25 to 27 in, in our reading. Where he says, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Martha says she believes it, but she misunderstands exactly what Jesus means. Look at verse 24. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Like I said, that there was an orthodox Jewish belief. The Pharisees... And especially many of the Jews of that day believed there would be a final resurrection at the end of time, on the last day. And what Jesus says is so remarkable. In this great I am statement, he's transforming Martha's understanding of resurrection in several ways. He brings it, in the first instance, he brings it from the future to the present. So thinking that the resurrection is in the future, he brings it right into now. She expected resurrection at the end of time. Jesus is going to perform a resurrection right here in the middle of time. And it's a resurrection of 
of course, that points to his own conquest of the grave. He knew where he was going. His resurrection three days after the crucifixion, which we celebrate today. But also Jesus shifts the resurrection from the pages of Scripture to, to a story, to, to something that they, they, they knew and, and from history to his own person. He takes it from, from a, a truth that they learned, a mantra that they learned, and makes it a person. He tells her essentially, Martha, resurrection is not just a doctrine to be believed. I am the resurrection. Resurrection is not an event. It's a person. You know, when I was thinking through that, I had to, and, and I still have to let that sink in. Resurrection is not an event. It's a person. N.T. Wright said it like this. The future has burst into the present. The new creation, and with it, the resurrection has come forward from the end of time into the middle of time. Resurrection isn't just a doctrine. It isn't just a future fact. It's a person. And he's standing right here in front of Martha. And I would say he's standing right here in front of us too. You see, it's one thing to believe the truth. It's another thing to experience the power of the truth in relationship to Jesus. That's what Martha needed most of all. So what's going on here? Jesus knew where he was going and he knew what was coming. And it's often considered and, and commentaries and writers would say that Jesus used Lazarus' death as a pointer to what was coming. Used Lazarus' resurrection as a pointer to what was coming. That it was a shadow of what Jesus was doing and it was a teachable moment for Jesus to prepare the crowd for what was to come. Jesus knew why he was doing it. And we see that in the lead up, don't we? Like I read in, in verse 4, when he said, this is for my glory. The glory of God. And that the Son would share in the glory of God. That, that, that people would see that, that he was God. <clears throat> and that many people would see. Remember, I talked about many people being around. It wasn't just Mary and Martha and Lazarus that, that saw the resurrection. It wasn't just the disciples that were with him, there were many that would see. And for Jesus, this was a moment to reveal himself as God. He's revealing himself in perhaps the greatest way ever yet as God. He's not an ambassador. He's not a messenger. He's not God's right hand. He's not deputized by God. He can't arrange for God to do something, to share in the resurrection. He's not brokering the resurrection for us between his father and us. He doesn't even appeal on our behalf for life. He is it. And it's only found in him. You know, it's interesting because even in those days, there was a plurality of different religions, uh, uh, many different ways to this end of life, this resurrection or this new life. It wasn't just, it wasn't just, God and, and Jesus and, and the old Jewish faith, there were many, there was a plurality of ways with, that people would understand that. You know, and for us, there's, we know that we have different religions around us, and there's, there's Buddhism and there's uh, uh, Muslim and Islam, and uh, there's Nirvana and there's uh, reincarnation, and there's, there's many ways 
And even back then, they were all dependent on what you do. And even in our time, they're, they're dependent on what you do. And Jesus is obliterating all that by saying, I am it. It's not what you do. It's in me. It's in a relationship with me. And it's really important for us. And why is it important for us? Because just like Martha, we need to be shown and reminded, especially today, that the resurrection isn't a thing, but it's a person. And that person is very much alive in us, giving us life. Both life now and Good Friday. Joel talked about that, having life now, full life. Jesus is talking about life now and life eternal. For Martha and her tradition, it was a future event, wasn't it? The resurrection was some event in the future. And for us, even as Christians, that can be kind of true, can't it? We read Paul and we look forward to being raised with Christ and we, we see it as a future event. But we can also fall into seeing it as a historical event, can't we? Oh, that happened then. We remember that on Easter Sunday. We remember that event where the resurrection happened. And we remember it each year. But in both cases, it can be an event, can't it? But Jesus wants us to know the resurrection is a person. It's a relationship. Like I said, it's one thing to believe the truth. It's another thing to experience the power of the truth in relationship to Jesus. That's what Martha needed most, but that's also what we need most. How would that influence your life? How can that influence our lives? The fact that Jesus called himself the resurrection and the life points us both to this life and the life to come. We don't want to escape this life and run off and hide in a corner with our Bibles or our community somewhere until Jesus comes back, until that event happens. We need to remember there's something more than this. We're called here, right now. And where we are, where you find yourself, where I find myself, we're called right here and right now. You know, after we die, we'll be called out of this life. But we're not dead yet. And as we live, we want to serve the Lord. Being busy in our life with his work and his call. You know, Peter says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, awaiting the appearing of the Lord in glory. We'll be resurrected when Christ returns. But also, already now, we're raised up to a new life. That life, in the, the full life, here, right now. A life that matters, so that what we do matters too. Let me say that again. Full life, a life that matters now, so that what we do with it also matters. Paul said it like this in... Colossians 3 verse 1, he begins by saying, Well, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He's talking to um, the Colossian church now, where you are now. If you've been raised with Christ, if the resurrection has happened, which it has, and he understood that, it's a person and he's living in you, seek the things above where Christ is seated. What were those things? If you read on in Colossians chapter 3, you'll see that he goes on to say, Put to death, therefore, things like sexual immorality and impurity and, 
evil desires and idolatry and a list of things. So put those things away. But then he goes on and put on things, take on things in this life. Um, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, etc., etc. So Paul is saying, as you live that life, that resurrected life now, as Jesus, the resurrection and the life lives in you, your life matters now. And he gets real practical about that, doesn't he? And it's for the same purpose and reason that Jesus expressed to the disciples in John chapter 11. For his glory. When Jesus said, you know, this is going to happen for my glory. My life, your life, is going to happen and needs to happen for his glory. Not ours, not our comfort, to make him great. That's what the resurrection is about. That's why it lives in us. And this gives us confidence. As followers of Christ, we can be confident and, and feel blessed that he says, I am. We can be confident the actual I am, that absolute statement he makes, gives us confidence. It's not arrogant like I would be if I walked into that job interview or I walked up to that girl or into the room. Because with Jesus, it's the truth. And like Martha and the crowd, we must step into resurrection life as he stands before us and invites us to believe in him. He says to Martha, do you believe it? C.S. Lewis said this, if you look at the founders of every other religion in the world, they'll say things like, this is the way, I'm pointing out the way, walk in it. But none of them say, I am the way. This is the way to life. None of them claim, I am the life. Nobody makes a claim like that, but Jesus does. They're unique claims. They're utterly astounding claims and they leave us with a choice to believe it and worship him or to denounce him as a complete imposter, someone who is off his rocker because sane men don't talk like this. What will we, what will we do? What will you do with this resurrection, with this resurrected Christ living in you, with this life that you've been given? Well, much later, this same John tells us of another encounter with Jesus on the Isle of Patmos, right at the end of the Bible in Revelations. And again, he's reminded of just who Jesus is. There are other words, different words, but it's still the I am. In Revelations 1, verse 17 and 18, and, and John turns and he sees <clears throat> between his seven uh, lampstands, or he sees someone, a person, and he recognises and, he, and he's full of fear. And he says, and in verse 17 and 18, it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. That was hugely comforting to John. There was instant recognition. This is the I am. And this is our God. He's the living one. He's alive forevermore. The keys to death and Hades, that was language, that was symbol, symbolic language of a, sim, a symbol of the mastery over death itself. And we are in him, with him in that. 
Easter reminds us that we're invited to share in that resurrection. Life now. Share in the spoils of victory over death. And we celebrate that today, don't we? The greatest spoil of which is life. Life now and life eternal. Life with him forever. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you that we get to celebrate this day as your children and your people. That we get to recognise standing right before us the resurrection and the life. That we're reminded that it isn't an event to remember. We don't um, get around a monument. That you're a person, Jesus. That you are the resurrection and life. That you have taken up residence in us. And resurrection and life lives in us. For now. For always. And that that matters. Thank you, Jesus, that we share in common and we can say to each other that, that, you are, that Jesus has risen and that he's risen indeed. And that there's an echo in each one of us of that. Thank you, Jesus, for pointing us to yourself. For taking our minds off just an event or, or perhaps um, for taking our minds off just words on a page that might have depth and profundity but that's so shallow in the face of a real person like you, Jesus. Thank you for reminding us that you're a person, that you're a relationship, that, that we can relate with you better than we can relate with a monument or with words on a page. That you want to communicate with us and commune with us. And that that's how resurrection and life becomes alive in us. And we thank you, Lord, that as a community, that's the message we have for a broken world. A world that is so incredibly broken at the moment. That you said, I am the resurrection and the life. That we can say boldly to the world, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Come to him. That we can come to you and know healing, forgiveness and life. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love for you to respond to this message and for all of our messages. We'd love for you to... You know, if, if something touched you in these messages, pray with somebody. If you know Jesus, you know, celebrate that with somebody. Share that with somebody. If you don't know Jesus, ask someone to help you understand more of who this I am is, who this Jesus is. Send in prayers if you have them. We'd love to see responses. Send in responses to the message, thoughts and, and reflections, feedback. We'd love to see that all. We pray that um, today would be special for you. We pray that this weekend would be special for you. We pray that you would um, be blessed with your families. And we look forward to continuing to be here, continuing to be part of your life, as together we discover more and more who Jesus is and what that looks like. So join with us next week again as we're here again. Be blessed.